When we announced the goals for this church in 2018, one was to recommit ourselves to daily Bible reading. For that purpose, we have provided a printed schedule. You can receive this in PDF form through email, or you can pick one up back here. And also we have mentioned that there is a daily reading Bible that you can order. It is arranged chronologically, and it's arranged so that you turn to today's date, and the reading is there for you. Also, this year from the pulpit, there will be sermons at least once a month that coincide with the daily Bible reading. We're doing these things as part of that goal for all of us to be recommitted to daily Bible reading. And so tonight, we're going to deliver a sermon that is related to where we are in the daily Bible reading schedule. And I'll be doing this at least once a month this year. Genesis 13, please. There is here an intriguing narrative and tragedy, but something for people today to learn from this history of Abraham's nephew, Lot. We're going to do some reading tonight in the very beginning of our time together. That reading will lead us to some commentary about these events, and then that will lead us to some lessons for us to consider. So part one of our reading comes from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before 
the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now that's part one of our reading about this narrative concerning Lot. Part two takes us over to Genesis chapter 14, the next chapter. Here's what happened. A coalition of rulers formed an aggressive alliance against Sodom in a battle in the Valley of the Salt Sea. Sodom and Gomorrah was not totally defeated in this aggression, not yet. But I want to pick up the narrative in Genesis 14 at verse 14. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot, with his possessions, and the women, and the people. So, we have part one, and part two. Now there's part three of the reading, and that's going to be over in Genesis chapter 18. There's intervening narrative about Abraham, but we are concerned with Lot. So part three is going to be in Genesis chapter 18, verses 17 to 33. Abraham was visited, and Abraham learned of the Lord's wrath against the people of Sodom. We've already been told they were wicked. And I'm going to pick up that narrative now in chapter 18 with verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether 
according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. We're going to continue at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? This is talking about what God had intended to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is pleading his case for Lot. Continues in verse 24 of Genesis 18. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for your sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once... Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Next came the narrative of what we're going to call in chapter 19 the tragedy. And we're going to read all of chapter 19, and it will not be pleasant reading. But it's real history, and it's real history given by God about a real event that leads to real lessons people today need to learn. Part 4 is the tragedy. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth, and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. And he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? 
Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar 
and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Amorites to this day. Well, when you read this, it seems there are so many plots going on, it's almost like the latest Star Wars movie. So let me break this down into the specific narrative about Lot that will take us to lessons that are so needed today. So here is a simple outline of what we've read. The initial problem was the conflict that arose over not having adequate land to accommodate all the animals and workers of two farmers, complicated by the presence of the Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelling in the land. It was one of those situations where something had to give, somebody had to move. Abraham was a peace-loving man who graciously said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. So Lot was given the choice. While Abraham was concerned with peace and unity, Lot had other priorities very well expressed in Genesis 13, where it says that Lot looked over the area of the valley and it says that he saw that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, we have an advantage. In fact, we have a vantage point. We know how this will turn out. We are privileged to have the whole story to read and digest. But what we clearly see even at this early point is that Lot made his choice based on projected income. The projected economics of the land of the Jordan Valley. And if you track the events in the narrative of Genesis, you discover that Lot moved closer and closer to the center of things. He moved just outside of Sodom, uh, Sodom then later into the city itself, and there was this gradual move 
toward the center of where sin was celebrated. He moved his tent as far as Sodom. Then he dwelled in Sodom. Uh, Sodom. And then in 1911, he is pictured as sitting in the gate of Sodom. Well, what happened? A war came. Consequences already. Against the projected income, a war came. He was taken captive in war and was rescued by old good uncle Abraham. Without any doubt, according to Genesis 18.20, the sin in Sodom got worse even after this aggression. Abraham then intercedes with the Lord to get Lot and his family out of there before the wrath of God came. And about that time, the sin of Sodom came to Lot's front door. Visitors came first to warn him of what God had planned, and then the sin of Sodom came to Lot's front door. The violent Vile depravity of the Sodomites was extraordinary. Lot's home was encircled by a vast mob of lusting men of every age howling for perverted satisfaction. That's the way R. Kent Hughes in his commentary described it. Well, then you come to chapter 19 and the storm hits, and I mean a storm. It rained not water. Sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Lot's wife is lost in one last look. The sons-in-law didn't take any of this seriously. They were lost. Lot and his daughters came out. Then more tragedy as a vile effort was made to regenerate the family through incest. Well, this is not the nice little Bible story you read to the kids at bedtime. But it's real. It happened. It is history. God made a record of it and wants us to know about it. It's a part of the continuing biblical narrative that shows what happens when material, carnal interests are given priority over the things of God. So, where we are now is, what do we need to get from this? The story of Lot that we're reading in the daily Bible reading. I want to start with something very simple. You can't just take your family anywhere. Fathers are charged by God to be protective of their families. To be on guard of their children being exposed to sin. Fathers and mothers are charged to nurture them in the Lord's will. Well, what do we know about Sodom? We know from the Genesis accounts there was sin, sexual appetite for any new people in town, no matter the gender. From Ecclesiastes 6, uh, not Ecclesiastes, dropped into my Bible class, Ezekiel 16, 49 we know there was pride, abundance of idleness, selfishness, and disregard for the poor. In Jeremiah 23, 14, their sin was grievous. Homosexuality was practiced. God was rejected. It was shocking to Lot. I heard one preacher say once, how bad was it? Even men struck with blindness would not stop demanding warm bodies 
to satisfy their appetites. Homosexual practice had become a dominant way of life in Sodom. Among the Canaanites, such perversions were common. Lot moved his family into the middle of that. Making that impulsive choice based on projected income. A good harvest. One takeaway is you can't just take your family anywhere. Even if the income looks good. The income may be great. The harvest may be great for the farmer. But the spiritual cost is too high. And in the end, the material prospects were utterly disappointed when Lot and his daughters live in a cave. Didn't work out. Some decisions may seem to be very hopeful when you first make them. But maybe one should stop and count the cost and pray and calculate the moral consequences over the economic income. In other words, to put it simply, don't gamble with your family. May I make this point and stress it that is related. You will hear people sometimes say things like this. Well, I'll go there where sin is, but I just won't be a participant. Famous last words. I'll move my family very close to the center of sin, but we're going to be okay. Reminds me of the alcoholic who says, I'm going to continue to visit the nightclubs and the bars. I just won't drink. Sure. If we could resurrect Lot from the dead, what kind of advice do you think he would give fathers about the choice of locality? and about the thoughts of projected income. I realize there is sin everywhere. But some jobs, some places, some cultures are so completely against what is good and pure, we ought not to even think of putting our families in that environment. It's a very simple takeaway from the story of Lot. Number two, one wrong choice can lead you to a lifetime of regret and bitter annoyance. Over in 2 Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, Lot is described by the Apostle Peter. And the description may shock you at first because Peter says, Lot was a just and righteous man. And then Peter goes on to describe that he was vexed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Now, how do you reconcile that? How do you explain all of that? Well, here it is. Lot knew what was right. He always knew what was right. He was not a direct participant in the sin of Sodom. There was enough conscience in the man to know it was the wrong place to be. So his wrong choice led to not only the loss of his family, but inner anxiety and annoyance and regret and guilt. Very simple lesson comes up here. Be extremely careful where you go and where you live and what kind of environment you occupy because one wrong choice can lead to a lifetime of regret.
You can have a right concept of morality up here. You can hold to a right moral code and know what's right and wrong and still make choices that lead you into a circumstance that's utterly depressing and becomes a vexation and an annoyance and regret the rest of your life. I think Lot was conflicted in a horrible and depressing way. He was offended by the behavior of the men of Sodom, desperate about all that and what to do when the men came to the door. But at the same time, he was attracted to the prosperity that became poverty in the cave. He liked the economy, but he hated the morality. Wore down by the filthy lives and perpetual torture of those at his front door, knowing it was offensive to God. Like many people today who know they've made the wrong choice, but they stay there for the money or the popularity or whatever, yet knowing it is wrong and their children are being corrupted. Jesus weighs in on this whole story with three simple words. You talk about a short sermon. The Lord said in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. It is not just speculation to imagine the struggle that was in the heart of Lot's wife. And it is the common struggle between the earthly and the heavenly. Here's one way to put it. Which city are you most attracted to? Many people do not operate on impulse, but they expend a lot of time and energy trying to find the right place to live, the perfect neighborhood, the perfect job, the best possible income, all those good combinations that are just worldly. I mean, they take a lot of time to do a lot of research and get on the Internet and find the right combination of all those things, but they're operating on the horizontal plane, not the vertical. They're operating on the perspective of under the sun. There's where I can get in Ecclesiastes. The gospel preacher Sewell Hall, I'm quoting, Nothing offered by any earthly city is worth jeopardizing our hope of that better city God has prepared for us. Remember Lot's wife. And then finally, I want to bring up Abraham's example because at this point in daily Bible reading in Genesis, you begin to see contrast in characters, and that's instructive. Earlier, there's the contrast between Cain and Abel, and that's instructive. Here, there's a contrast between Abraham and Lot, and that's instructive for us. Abraham wanted to maintain peace and heal any existing strife. That was his main concern in this deal, described it back in Genesis 13. Lot has another concern, a good harvest, well-watered place. Now, how did that all turn out? Well, as Darrell read earlier tonight, Abraham was blessed. Lot lost everything. Lost everything. 
So when I come to tough decisions in life, I need to be more like Abraham than Lot in terms of this narrative and scene. I need to weigh choices in the scales of God's values and operate vertically on those choices and not just projected worldly success on the horizontal under the sun plane. Well, there is this battle that we enter into every day between the physical and the spiritual, the temporal and the eternal. There is so much in this world that looks so good at first, so promising when you take your first glance, so attractive when the temptation first encounters your heart. So God has warned us to be careful, to count the cost, to not put our families in spiritual jeopardy, and Lot's story serves as one of those warnings. Paul captures this very well in Romans 8 and verse 6, where he reminds us that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I repeat the quotation I gave earlier, nothing offered by any earthly city is worth jeopardizing our hope of that better city God has prepared for His people. Did you enjoy this? Did it, did it strike you as having value? Keep up your daily Bible reading for many value-packed narratives like this. Let's be standing as we sing.